Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where two friends get together and talk about the story behind the matches. I'm Matt. And I'm Michael. Welcome to episode 31, Great American Bash 1989. Glory days. Is that your favorite Springsteen? No. My favorite Springsteen song is kind of a sad one. It's okay. It's not off his saddest album, but he has an album called The River, and it's like a double LP, and it's basically like sad song, like kind of like corky song, mm-hmm. sad song, kind of like corky, more upbeat song for like two LPs, but the song, the title song, The River, is my favorite Bruce Springsteen song, and it's absolutely amazing, and you should pause this right now and listen to The River. It's great, but it's about his like sister getting like pregnant out of wedlock and then both of them having to throw their lives away to like get married and like raise a kid and he has to like go fucking like you know work in a coal mine or something it's very like spring scene like blue collar bullshit but it's beautiful beautiful song it's like the opposite version of like uh, wouldn't it be nice like what wouldn't it be nice does for young love mm-hmm. the river does for young love in like the most depressing realistic way <laughs> and i think that wouldn't it be nice is the best american pop song of all time so i have another question for you uh-huh. springsteen related did you see the movie about the indian no i did not okay i'm not interested i also wasn't interested in the beatles one so Yesterday was good, but that like that the trailer turned me off, and that's the kind of like we have, we like different stuff. That's true, we but do. I mean I'm not saying it was bad, but that trailer I was like mm, I'm not so not interested. So the Great American Bash 1989 was the fifth annual Great American Bash, and it was produced by WCW under the NWA banner. The event took place on July 23rd 1989 at the Baltimore Arena in Baltimore, Maryland. Drawing an attendance of 14,500 people. Where were they at the other shows? Is this just the area for them? Or was it because those shows were good? I mean, they've run Baltimore. This is the second time they've run Baltimore, I think, for the Great American Bash. But that's ten, that is 10,000 more people. Yeah. I mean, a little less, but it's 10,000 more people. Balt- Baltimore just may be NWA area. I mean, that's just their... Their sweet spot. I don't know. It's Baltimore, good. Charlotte, you know, yeah. Georgia, Atlanta, you know, that kind of bad sweet street. Spot. Atlanta, GA. <laughs> exactly. Some things that happened around the time of Great American Bash. Daniel Radcliffe, aka Harry Potter, would be born the same exact day. Oh yeah. Are you a Harry Potter guy? I I read the books when yeah. they came out. I. Didn't like the first two movies. I thought the movies got better as they went. Yeah. But I just had issues with the first couple. Like, I felt like they tried to put too much stuff in the first couple movies. And then the third one was just... That was my least favorite book, so it was probably my least favorite Didn't, like, Alfonso Cuaron direct one of them? Yeah, he did... 
I think he did the third one, which really? is the one that I probably dislike the most. That's weird. It's like, oh, this auteur guy. <laughs> but it's all, but like I said, it's also my least favorite book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I I am probably. I really have nothing to say as far as Harry Potter goes, except for I've seen the movies, and they don't do a thing for me. And that that's fine. It's like I yeah I've seen them. I had an ex girlfriend that read those books constantly. They were like basically like a comfort blanket. For yeah. her, it's like, oh, this is just a thing that I do because like, I like these a lot and read them all the time. And I think the movies were still coming out at the time. And I'd go see them, and she would like, was kind of the, one of those people. I'm not this kind of person where it's like, you like something, so you just like watch it all the time or you read it all the time. And she's very much a creature of habit in that. So like, I've seen these movies, and I don't know a thing about them because they just like, <laughs> They just, it's not they fly over my head, like, they do, I don't understand them. They just, like, just pass, they just, they just, like, pass right through me like a ghost because, like, I'm so uninterested. And it's not because it's bad, it just doesn't do anything for me. I remember when I was, when the first book came out, before there was any movies, when I was in middle school, my friend had a younger brother, and uh, he liked the book a lot. The movie wasn't, uh, like, none of the movies were out. And he went as Harry Potter for like Halloween. He did the thing on his head, the yeah. lightning bolt. And uh, we teased him. He was probably like seven or something. And we were like in like middle school. We were probably in like seventh or eighth grade. We called him Harry Pothead, and he did not like it. A l- he did not like of- it because we thought he thought we were calling him a drug user. What a bunch of bullies. We were, but we didn't we didn't like punch him or anything. We just called him Harry Pothead, and he was like, no, mom. But how about Swiss Army Man? Did you like Swiss Army Man? Uh. Liked it, didn't love it. That's kind of how I thought. Yeah, it's like eh, I liked it. Didn't I, love I it. liked it until the very end. I didn't like the ending. Oh yeah, you didn't like this. Like, you didn't like the question mark. Well, no, it was more like crazy. Creepy. He's creepy, creepy and crazy. Basically, stalking a girl. Like, yeah, I was like that. Mm, it takes away. It takes the fantasy thing, and it's like, like well, oh, like you had this like whole like good-hearted moment, uh-huh. and like basically the very. In the middle of the yeah. film, and then all of a sudden, there's you this take like creepy shit on, and it. it's just like, yeah, it just made the yeah. character creepy, and I was just well, like, a movie like that needs to end on a question mark. If it doesn't end on a question mark, it's no. It's good. not so much the question mark that bothered me; it was just that he turned out to be just creepy. creepy. No, but I'm saying that it should have just ended on a complete question mark. Yeah, where it's like I agree. you know, where it's like Alice in Wonderland or like shit, where it's like, oh, did that happen or did that not happen? And like that. It, that works in situations like that because then you can take what you want out of it or you can be like oh it's creepy because of this if it didn't work out that way but whenever you put like a period on it then it is what it is and normally when you put the period on it it's, it might be creepy and another movie that came out the same weekend as Great American Bash ah you know shot in Tulsa Oklahoma was it? yes I was hoping you'd know something about it it, it felt like this movie would be in your wheelhouse because I other than knowing that Weird you Al, have seen it? Weird Al is in it, I have no clue what. Oh, you've never seen this? I've never watched UHF. You, you would probably like UHF. You know why? Why? Because it's very good. <laughs> do you like Do you like comedy? Yes. Do you like sketch comedy? Yes. Do you like Weird Al at all? Yes. Oh, this is like the best thing Weird Al has ever done. It's a Weird Al movie, mostly shot, and he gets like a UHF channel, and he basically just does whatever he wants. So you, Weird Al does, it's like a bunch, basically, there is a narrative of him running this like station. like station, but it's a bunch of like him doing like parody and skits. It was shot in Tulsa, and like, 
I think a couple of years ago it was like the 25th anniversary of it, and they screened it in Tulsa, and uh, Weird Al was there and did like a Q and A, which is nice. pretty cool. Uh, I really wanted to go, I did not, but UHF, very good. Probably the best thing he's done because it's always enjoyable, where you don't always want to listen to Weird Al. That movie, you put it on, it's it. enjoyable for everyone. Him in concert's fun, though. I have yeah, seen I've him seen him concert. a couple times. The last time I saw him, I was like, Ugh, I'm, I'm kind of ready to go. But it was outside. He had like a string quartet thing. Yeah. Or no, he had like a whole, I don't know. I don't know how big an orchestra is, but it wasn't a string quartet. Yeah. It was like the whole deal. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and get to the show. Yes. We're welcomed by a narration about the wonderful things in Baltimore. And then... Turner Home Entertainment presents. Hell yeah. Video highlights flying across the screen. The Great American Bash logo with an American flag and the tagline of glory days. Hell yeah. And we see two rings being shown as Jim Ross and Bob... Hell, hell no. No, not the two rings, Matt. And Bob Cottle welcome us to the event. But then they're cut off mid-sentence. Yeah. And... I'll just go ahead and say it up front. Many times in this show, we see a thing, watching it on the network, we see program is done to comp- as best as we can. Basically. Yeah, it's like basically have, there's some video missing, but it's not a lot. Not a whole it's lot. It's not enough missing. to like really fuck with the show. No. It's a shame that it didn't, the video wasn't so messed up that it just cut out one of the rings. <laughs> but some of the we best, all have dreams. But some of the best spots are two. No, there's there they really they really do. Spoiler: they do use those two rings to an to an advantage. Uh, they use them very well. Typically, not in two ring matches. No, <laughs> which is the no. upsetting part. But I digress. There's a show to talk about. So our first match of the night is a two ring. King of the Hill Battle Royal with Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, Terry Gordy, Scott, Scott Hall, Hall, Wild Bill Irwin, Flying Brian Pillman, Brian Motherfucking Pillman, Ranger Ross. I like Ross. I'm a Rossman. Mike Rotunda, Ron Simmons, Ron fucking Simmons too. Rick Steiner, Scott mm. Steiner. That's Rick's my boy. Doctor Death, Steve Williams, Kevin Sullivan, Ooh, Boo, Sid Vicious. Ah. Those locks, those golden locks. And Dan Spivey. Uh, you know, Mary Fuck Kill. <laughs> Mary Fuck Kill. <laughs> Dan Spivey. Dan Spivey. Wild Bill Irwin. Bill Irwin. And who's the other obvious one? Terry Gordy. <laughs> it's like, can I kill them all? Fuck Spivey. <laughs> this is so rough. I'm sorry I said this. Mary Gordy kill Irwin. I'm gonna go Mary Gordy. I'll, I'll marry Gordy with you. We can have a, a triple ship. We have a, a triple. A triple. A triple. <laughs> uh, I'm killing Spivey because I'm so tired you of hate, you hate this. I'm dude. so fucking tired of him. Like he's fine with what he's doing. I just am not interested. And I'll fuck Bill Irwin because he looks like he might need it. I mean, he is wild, Bill. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's ready to get wild. With me. And his last name's not Spivey. So it's a plus. So Ron Simmons and Scott Hall are Ford. both WWE Hall of Famers. For good reason. It's Ron fucking Simmons. It's Scott goddamn Hall. So the rules of this two-ring King of the Hill Battle Royal are eliminations happen by throwing opponents over the top rope. 
Once you're tossed from the first ring, you then are joining the second ring and can be eliminated the same way. So it's basically like a double elimination battle royal. The winner of the first ring and the second ring will then compete in a standard wrestling match and the winner takes $50,000. I kind of like the setup in a weird way. It's convoluted, but it's not the worst. I mean, you already have two rings. Use it. Exactly. And for a second, I was like, man, I'm going to have to watch a War Games. And then this happened, and I was like, man, I'm probably still going to have to watch a War Games. <laughs> but, like, yes. but I thought this was at least kind I totally, of... <laughs> I totally didn't, hadn't even thought about a War Games until it came on. Yeah, and I, I was think... like, two rings. Oh. War Games. War Games. But they did that, yeah. and I was like, oh, but this is kind of cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I like, it's... I'm not a singles match or a true tag match is the only matches that I truly love. But if you're going to do some gimmick shit, this is kind of interesting. I agree. So everyone just starts brawling in the first ring. JR tells us that qualifying battle royals were held to determine the participants. Yeah, that's when uh, when Stephen Casey <laughs> didn't make the cut. Yeah. Didn't quite win anything. Sorry, Stephen. Yeah. We see Teddy Long looking on from. from oh, this is where he's in like the like it's like it's really dark and it's like they didn't the camera's too far away. There's no lights on him. Yeah, he's just like looking menacingly. We see Ranger Ross eliminated by Ron Simmons, but then Ron Simmons is eliminated. So we got the two black guys in the second ring. Damn. <laughs> I mean, I like both of these guys. I mean, everybody likes Ron Simmons, but I'm in the small amount that I've seen Ranger Ross. When he did that like spot where he like pushed himself over the top rope and landed on his feet on the outside of the ring, uh, that gracefully instant fan. I was a fan. Like I know he's not going anywhere, but I think that there's guys like this that do things like that that people don't talk about. We've got our Sam Houston's who bump like crazy. We got our Ranger Rosses, weren't built for the business, but athletic, and they filled their spot. They filled their spot better than. Spivey fills a spot. Simmons gives Ross multiple clotheslines, but Ross ducks a third and delivers a thrust kick in the second ring. Simmons goes to throw Ross over, but Ranger blocks and tosses Ron over the top to be eliminated. Damn! <laughs> Jesus. Scott Hall eliminated from the first ring, and then Ross helps pull Terry Gordy over to the second ring. The hard camera is so far back that you can see both rings at the same time. <laughs> you got to. There's two. There's two. Two matches happening. But that also means that you cannot tell who is who real well. No, no. You know, especially because like everybody has the same hair. It's either like <laughs> curly or it's like spivy flat gross. Yeah. Bill Irwin's eliminated by Doctor Death in the first ring, and then we flash forward a few minutes later by the network. Rick Steiner's eliminated from the first ring by a group of people. Spivey hits a power bomb in the second ring on Ranger Ross. Steiner jumps back in the first ring and eliminates Kevin Sullivan. Sid Vicious and Brian Pillman are the last two in the first ring. You know what's kind of fucked up is because there's a lot going on here, a lot of people, and everybody's either got curly hair or not so curly hair. But I've seen Dan Spivey in like two previous shows. Yeah. And uh, with his haircut and like. He's too he's too tall, obviously, and he's a little less muscular. But I was like, is that like a young, stunning Steve? Because of the like kind of hair not. and even like the face a little bit. You know what I mean? He, mm-hmm. he looks. It's not like it didn't take me long to figure it out. But for a second, I was like, because like I saw my Pillmans and my Scott Halls and my Ron Simmons. Like, all right, there's some stuff in here. There's some guys in here. 
We're getting to our guys. Yeah, we're getting... I've got a lot of horny things to say about Brian Pillman. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Vicious goes to hit Pillman in the corner, but Brian moves and starts laying in chops. But Sid is just too big and hits a clothesline to take Pillman down. Spivey hits a neckbreaker and another powerbomb in the second ring. Bill Irwin is eliminated from the second ring. Vicious goes for a clothesline so hard that he spins around when Pillman dunks, and Brian hits multiple drop kicks. Pillman goes for a crossbody, but Sid ducks, and Brian goes flying over the top rope, and Vicious stands alone in the first ring. So we have five men left in the second ring at this point. We've got Pillman, Spivey, Rotunda, Dr. Death, and Terry Gordy. Dr. Death ends up lifting Gordy over to be eliminated, and then Rotunda and Spivey team up on Pillman so we, to eliminate him. So we have three varsity club members in the <gasps> second ring. No! Or do we? <laughs> so, what are you trying to tell me? So between the last show and this show, mm-hmm. Dr. Death has turned face, leaving the varsity club, and Spivey has also left the club. Really? To join Sid Vicious. Oh, yeah. As the, the skyscrapers. Bum, bum, bum. We all know who the fucking star there is. Spivey, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah. So Dr. Death with a power slam on Rotunda, and Mike reverses an Irish whip, charges in for a clothesline, but Rotunda misses and goes flying over the top rope to be eliminated. Spivey starts attacking, but Dr. Death reverses an Irish whip, charges in, and hits a clothesline in the corner. More clothesline by Williams, but can't quite get Spivey down. One more with Spivey in the ropes, but Dangerous Danny doesn't go over, but he does fall to the mat. Williams with a three-point stance shoulder tackle and gets back up to do it again, but his foot is grabbed by Rotunda, causing him to fall to the mat. Bum, bum, bum. Dr. Death gets up, looking to the outside of the ring, when Spivey hits a clothesline to the back, sending Williams over to be eliminated, and Danny stands alone in the second ring. I don't like that at all. So we have Sid Vicious versus Dan Spivey for the $50,000. What? But they're the skyscrapers, Matthew. Or do we? Do we? Teddy Long grabs the mic saying, He ain't stupid. We have formed unity, and we'll split the money. You know what I like? That shit. That shit's tight. It's such a cock tease. So I took at this point that Teddy was the manager for the skyscrapers? Yeah, totally. And like, yeah, obviously. And like, it's like, oh, here's your big match with a bunch of guys like to start off or whatever. But then it's like, oh, two big guys. And Sid Vicious is pretty over, as we'll learn later in the show. Yes. But, uh, and then Teddy goes in there to cock tease. Like, that is, that's... It's good stuff. That's, uh, that's, yeah, good stuff. It's also, like... Solid, intelligent heel work. It's not cheap heat. It's not cheap heat. It's definitely not cheap heat. So we flash forward again on the network. I don't know exactly what we missed, but we mm, did miss problem. some stuff. Probably not much. Uh, Gordon Solis in the back with the aforementioned Teddy Long. T- Ted, Ted Ward Long. And Long goes, it don't matter who it is, bring it on. And nobody, nothing that nobody can, can do, do about it. Yeah. Uh, Basically just challenges the entire locker room yes, to come and face the skyscrapers. Yeah. Gordon Soley, driest man on the planet. Oh, yes. He is uh, the Mojave Desert. But his, like, suit, his, like, tie is crooked, and his suit is, like, don't too big. Don't you wish you had Tony Schiavone back? <laughs> no. And his suit is, <laughs> I still don't. And his suit is too big, because at least, like, Tony Schiavone is not nearly as interesting looking as, like, Gordon Soley with his, like, he looks, his, his, 
his suit's too big, his necktie is crooked, and he's like still trying to be a professional old man about it. And it's just like so dry that it's kind of okay. Whereas like Tony Schiavone is just like fucking straight, like fucking butter sandwich boring. So we're going to head off to our second match. We got Wild Bill Irwin versus Flying Brian Pillman. Wait a second. Weren't they in the first match? They were in the first match. But hey, we got a show to put on. Exactly. Well, is this this is the whole show, right? Yeah, it's, this is it's the whole like show. A lot of the Great American Bashes we watched were like a tour and would be a collection on cassette tape from like Coliseum. This is one show, one place. I could tell, but it was just kind of weird that this was the second match, considering... So the match starts off with Irwin getting it starting quickly with right hands, tossing Pillman to the corner. But Brian leaps up and over a charging wild bill and hits a hip toss and a drop kick. Pillman puts Irwin into a headlock, goes running towards the corner with him where he jumps up on the turnbuckle and ends up pulling him over into a side headlock on the mat. That's great. While Bill tosses flying Brian to the corner where he attempts to leap up and over a charging Irwin again, but Wild Bill catches his feet on his shoulders, so Pillman turns it into a head scissors takedown to send Irwin through the ropes to the floor. What a spot, right? So good. What a fucking spot. Flying Brian with a baseball slide and multiple arm drag takeovers to an arm bar. Flying Brian is seriously like, he's, if the amount of cocaine that your, that your sting a couple shows ago did, or your, you know, we all know that... Ricky Steamboat was probably pretty clean. Just look at I'd him. Say so. Just look at him. But like, Flying Brian is like roided, fucking coked up Steamboat, right? Yeah, he's fucking his, doing it. These arm drag takeovers are very Steamboat, Steamboat esque. Yeah, but like he's doing stuff like he's doing like Muda or even like uh, the some of the what show was it where we got the like the Guerreros. The, the Guerreros. Yeah, it's like oh shit, it's like that. But he is like. Compact into a tight, no fat, like perfect looking babyface tag team guy. It's amazing. And he's also pretty fucking hot. Mary Fuck Kill Pillman, Pillman or Pillman? <sighs> Definitely not killing him. Erwin <laughs> <laughs> tosses Pillman to the ropes, hits a hip toss, but Flying Brian gives another arm drag takeover into an armbar. Pillman's Irish whip ducks a clothesline, comes off the ropes with a flying crossbody. And back to the armbar with another arm drag takeover. Flying Brian running the ropes, leapfrogs Irwin, but Wild Bill hits a sidewalk slam on the return. Irwin with the vertical suplex hammers across the chest and throws Pillman through the ropes to the floor. Once back in the ring, Wild Bill's like yelling at Brian to fly around, fly around, fly Brian. Brian, fly around. Fly. Yeah, that's that's fun. That, that's that good was, stuff. I liked it. Irwin uses the. That's top why rope. I would marry Irwin. Erwin uses the top rope as a clothesline, slams Pillman's head into the turnbuckle before locking on a reverse chin lock. Flying Brian fights back with some right hands, chops, sends Wild Bill to the ropes, ducks his head, allowing Erwin to give a knee to the head and a clothesline. Wild Bill has Pillman draped over the second rope, delivering a knee to the back before choking him with the ropes, tossing him to the floor. Again, Erwin has Brian draped over the second rope and goes for a body guillotine, but Pillman moves. Hits multiple drop kicks, flying clothesline, and a splash in the middle of the ring for a near fall. Big chops, a headbutt, and Brian climbs to the top rope for a drop kick, but Wild Bill moves. Irwin with kicks, punches, a gut wrench suplex. I love a gut wrench. Some chokes, and then he lawn darts Pillman from the first ring to the second ring. 
So good. Flying Brian then climbs to the top turnbuckle of the second ring while Wild Bill celebrates. And then he jumps all the way back over to the first ring with the flying crossbody for the pin and the win. And like we said, these two rings are used very well. And like, it's not that just Flying Brian did it. No. It's like Bill Irwin, who is a nobody in like history, really. We'll see him later in the WWF. But he's not Brian Pillman. No. But like, you know, and it's like, oh, he even had a spot there. Exactly. But like, it's, yeah, this match is worth your time. It's very fun. It's very, and like, if, the thing is like, you have the two rings for war games, right? Yep. So, just having it just for war games seems like a lot. So, you have the first match, which is fine, with your, your like, King of the Hill thing. Interesting enough, it's fine. You use it to put, tell the story forward. But then you have, like, the real first match of the show, like, the real, like, the singles match. Yep. And it kills like this? Great start to a show, man. Great start to a show. It's like, you've got your gimmick. You've got one gimmick match in. You still have your big gimmick match later. The gimmick that's in the middle, championship your, match. Your, your big gimmick, your big gimmick ring, gets used this well for the finish of the first singles match. It's pretty we're smart. On, we're on a hot start. We're on a hot start. So Gordon Solis in the back with Paul E. Dangerously, and like as soon as he goes to the screen, Paul E. throws a racket away. Of course he does. Well, I mean, it was was it one of the no? It's this show. Never mind. Were they no previous show where Paul E. had a racket and and at the end of the match. Cornet like threw the racket, the second racket away. That was at the end of the match that they have. Oh, here. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can cut that if you'd like, but it's fine. And I'm sorry. I watched a lot of, <laughs> of WCW presents NWA. Dangerously says he's not concerned with winning the match. I'm gonna take Cornet out. Yes. This is smart shit. And then he has this line. Yes. I've been living dangerously all my life. I stand on a beach when the hurricane moves in. Thank you. I've leaned over the top of the Empire State Building. Thank God. I've even hired Rob Lewis's babysitter. Well, I don't know that reference. Tell me. I got nothing. We have to look it up. I looked it up. I cannot find. Did Rob Lewis babysitter kill his child or something? So here's the thing. I couldn't quite understand what he was saying when okay. he said this line. The, the, la- the last line, yeah. Last line. I, re- I rewinded it a few times. So I actually put the closed captioning on. Mm-hmm. And that's what it said. But then I looked up Rob Lewis and Rob Lewis's babysitter. I have no clue what he's talking about. I could not find it. Well, if we find out, I hope it's not as dark as I would assume. Because, like, you're talking about a child. I'm assuming that it's somebody, like, babysitter that murdered their kid or something. I yeah. assume. Yeah. But I was just like, that line is amazing. Yeah, I don't know. But, like, yeah, that was one of the things where I was like, oh, like, that's making, like, an OJ joke or something. Like, yeah. or I was like, oh, like, this is timely. But I haven't, we'll find out maybe. But I was like, ooh. But it's a very good promo. Also, he gets into a very intelligent thing about calling out Cornette's oh, real yeah. life. I mean, he literally goes into talking about. The injury that Cornette had at the, From the, the Skywalker scaffold yeah. match when he fell and actually uh, hurt his and leg. And it looks like it hurts, and it's like, it's a, yeah, it's legit. Like, he wore knee braces and stuff the uh, rest of his, his life. life. Yeah, and you'll see them later here, and it's really, really smart. It's a very good promo. So we're headed off to our third match. The dynamic dudes of Johnny Ace and Shane Douglas 
versus the Skyscrapers of Sid Vicious and Dan Spivey with Teddy Long in their corner. And as the dudes come out, they play frisbee with a young fan. Oh, they pick up that little fat kid. And that, that kid little fat does kid. not look like he wants to be <laughs> No, there. he's just like, he's like your typical like comedy movies, like little fat kid. He's got like a white like Ghostbuster shirt on and like little red shorts. And they're like trying to play frisbee with him, but they like pick him up, and it's really funny because like these are the dynamic dudes. They're in very good shape, but he looks like he kind of like has a hard time lifting a little fat kid over the thing. I mean, um, the kid's not like what, a hun- it's under a hundred pounds. What's the name of the fat kid from Goonies? Um, chunk. Chunk. Yeah. yeah, he's not Chunk big. No, we, not quite. But that he's big. like, but he's younger than Chunk too. Yeah. So he's like, but he's like a fat like six or seven. He's year old headed kid. Chunk's way. I mean, I'm fat, so I'm, I'm gonna call this kid fat. We're we're on we're one and the same. He's a bigger kid. He's not rounding first. The dudes then jump in the ring and they high five Jason Hervey. So I assume we had more cut by the network because it's never explained why Hervey's there. The Herb than... is there because the Herb loves WCW. The other Herb loves doing cocaine with Ric Flair. And the Herb loves to get it in with Playmates. We've learned this. We've we learned know this. this. We've stuff. seen all of this. We've talked about this. But yeah, the Herb, they never do a close-up. He just kind of comes in and like does a high-five. We've seen there, and like actually the only reason I could tell who it was is because of his hair. Yeah. and then He's he show- also very short. He then shows up later in the show. Okay, so he does have during a spot the, later. During the main event, he like he's like just sitting at ringside. Oh, uh, okay. Like, right. So this is the spot where he like comes up to the ring. Yeah, he was time. in the ring. As the match starts, Ace ducks a clothesline, drops kicks Spivey, who no-sells it. You can't tell me you didn't like that. What? The no-selling of the drop kick. Oh, yeah, of course I liked it. Spivey is not the worst. I hate his name, doesn't have a great body, but I like plenty of guys that have great bodies. Love Samoa Joe. Johnny slides under Dangerous Danny. Douglas comes into the ring for a double drop kick, double Irish whip, and a double monkey flip from the dudes. Ace gives a clothesline. Douglas charges in, but Spivey gets a boot up. Shane is tossed to the ropes, flips over Dangerous Danny, while Ace comes off the top rope with a crossbody, and they fall over Shane, who was down on all fours behind Spivey. That was amazing. It was like the let me push, like let me go on all fours and push your buddy. Yeah. But it was very unnecessary, but somehow amazing because he's the like crossbody's going to take you down. Gonna take da- but it's like the thing is the the I feel like the reason they did that is because he's so big that like he might just be able to catch him but he would trip exactly. over him and i think it was well executed dangerous danny tosses ace to the corner charges in to hit a clothesline sid gets a good pop whenever he is tagged in and the skyscrapers are working over johnny spivey tosses ace to the ropes ducks his head allows johnny to kick him but dangerous danny no sells delivering a clothesline a power slam and goes for a jumping elbow drop but ace moves Douglas is running the ropes, ducks a clothesline, but is caught with a sidewalk slam and a one-shoulder powerbomb. We want Sid. Yeah. We want Sid. Sid is hella over. How long, how long is Sid a heel after the show? I, I don't know. I'm just literally like, He's the so over. skyscrapers are the heels. Sid is over. Or is it just Dan Spivey for not tagging Vicious in? Uh, it's Dan Spivey for being Dan Spivey. For me wanting to kill, kill, kill him. A big boot from Dangerous Danny sends Douglas to the outside where Teddy Long lays in some weak-ass kicks hey. before Sid kicks him as well. Oh, is this is this where we get our peanut head or is that later? This might be peanut, yeah. Pe- yeah, they, we get a peanut head because he has a weird-shaped head and he's balding. I'm not going to make fun of balding because I'm the eh, same way. So. You, you look good. 
You don't, you don't, you ain't got no Teddy Long head. But yeah. we all love Teddy Long. Spivey brings Shane back into the ring with a vertical suplex, and Vicious with a clothesline starts basking in the praise of the fans before applying a stomach claw hold. How does that look? <sighs> you can't hear it, and then but it's it literally an arm on a claw hold on yeah, the stomach. Yeah, you know, like a claw on a head. It's like that, but on the gut. We've seen that before with Barry Windham, correct? Uh, no, it's Kerry Von Erich. Oh yeah, it was Kerry Von Erich. And we made fun of it then. We did. And I'm making fun of it now because uh, it's dumb. I do. I'm okay with a Lance Archer claw, but that's just because I'm very excited for Lance Archer. I'm not making. I'm not mad at the claw. I'm mad at the, that it's a stomach. Oh, the stomach claw. claw. Yeah, yeah. But even the head claw is is something you can. But at least you can have your hand over like their face, and yeah. so it's like maybe like. Plus, it's one of those things where you do the double, and then they do like, and you have to do the like. You're holding their head down, but then their shoulders are back. Like that could be a pretty baller move. Like you could see the Undertaker doing that if he was like maybe two inches taller, and that was his finisher, where he just like it's like instead of maybe he does the Tombstone pile driver, but instead of doing the hands over the thing, he just like leans over them and fucking puts does the claw on their head to hold the shoulders back. That that could be cool. Who's the Undertaker? Well, I mean, we'll find out in a few years. <laughs> but, no, just in general. For, like, an evil, yeah, mean, big guy. Saying. I know you get it. I'll, I'll feed into your shit. Spivey's back in. You know, Kane, the Undertaker. Yeah. <laughs> Spivey back in, hits a side slam, but misses a clothesline, so Douglas goes for a crossbody, but Dangerous Danny catches him, delivering a backbreaker. Spivey then goes for a second rope falling headbutt, but Shane moves and escapes to make the hot tag. Ace leaps over the ropes to deliver a drop kick. Right hands is Irish whip to the corner, but comes out with a kick to the ducking Spivey. Jumps up to the top rope to hit a flying clothesline for the pin, and Sid makes the save. The thing, like it's the last dynamic dudes match we watched. You know who got the hot tag? Shane got Shane. the hot tag. So this time Ace gets the hot tag. Exactly. That's cool. I like that. Dangerous Danny with a power slam while Vicious throws Douglas from the ring. The skyscrapers go for a smush double clothesline, but Johnny moves, and Spivey is knocked down by Vicious. Dudes with a dynamic double drop kick to Sid, double hip toss to Danny. Oh, yeah. The ref is getting Shane out of the ring while Ace goes for a bad-looking crossbody. Mm, can't win them all. Spivey catches him, and Sid helps deliver a powerbomb. Dangerous Danny then attempts another powerbomb, but he loses his grip and drops Ace on his head... For the pin and the win. And what a nasty finish, right? It was so gross. That's a shoot finish, right? Yes, so. <laughs> it's like, oh, he's dead, so we have to pin him now. And then they, like, cart his body off. But, like, it's like, oh, no. <laughs> but it's like, well, like, he can't get up now. He's obviously knocked out. Yeah. Jesus. Gordon Soli's in the back with Jim Cornette. And Jim Cornette, great lines here. If you break one of my legs, I'll come hopping to you. If you break both of my legs, I'll come, come crawling, crawling on my belly yeah. to get to you. Oh, it's good shit. And we're off to our fourth match. And we're off to our fourth match. Paul E. Dangerously versus Jim Cornette in a tuxedo match. What does that mean, Matthew? To win, you must strip your opponent of their tuxedo. Marry, fuck, kill, divorce. Paul E. Dangerously. Paul E. Dangerously is... 
Telephone, Jim Cornette, Jim Cornette's racket. Marry the phone. Okay. Because you think it'll evolve over time, so you can like use it for the internet? Exactly. Okay. Kill the tennis racket. Okay. Fuck dangerously. Ooh, he, Polly looks okay here. Divorce Cornette. Yeah. Cornette is very divorceable. <laughs> He's good for a while. <laughs> yeah. But after a while, yeah. you just I like, like, no yeah. I like hanging out with him for two hours. I'm down to eat a cheeseburger with him. But that's about where it ends. Go away. Yeah. So the match starts. Cornette attacks Paul E. ripping his jacket off. Dangerously throws powder in Cornette's face, grabbing his Zach Morris-style phone. Hold on. The Cornette pops. They're so big. They're huge. They're great. They're, they're great. huge. They're great. Then we get WWF suck signs. That's fun. Especially for like an 89. Polly starts beating on Jim's bad knee and rips Cornette's jacket off. Polly wraps the bad leg around a rope to stretch it and starts choking Jim with his cummerbund. Cornette, with a shot to the gut, grabs the cummerbund, starts choking dangerously, who escapes by backing him into the corner. And like they, the commentary is just like shitting on both the guys. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like, why are these two guys in the ring? <laughs> yeah, why, what are they even doing here? Cornette, with an attempted low blow, Paul E. spits on him, and Jim is having issues standing. Ooh. Those knees, you can see the knee pads yeah. inside of the thing. And I'm granted, he probably doesn't need them on a daily basis, but it was intelligent. It's the touches, the light touches. Dangerously rams Cornette's head into the ring post. And once back in the ring, Paul E. goes for a jumping elbow drop, but Jim moves. Uh, it's so fun. The pops. He gets, like, does Jim get the biggest pops of the night? Pretty close. Can you imagine how good it would feel? Because I know that Matt has, you have met manager energy. I have met manager Matt, Matt, manager energy. You have, like, manager energy. I can see you Uh-oh. really fucking you. going out there and doing the shit. Granted, not now, but back then, when it was more of a thing, like, when you loved wrestling, if wrestling was more territory-based, you could have probably gone out there and done some shit. Dangerously, he's giving right hands, but Jim starts cornetting up, <sighs> delivering multiple right hands. And Cornette rips Paul E.'s shirt off. Dangerously goes to grab some more powder, but Jim kicks his hand, knocking the powder into Paul E.'s face. Well, I love it. Paul E., like, he does the first hit, and it's very big. But then I think that, like, he's just excited and not used to doing this. So he hits himself in the face again, like, to get another big puff. Like, and it's, like, very obvious where he's like, oh, like... Because at first, when I was watching it, I thought that maybe before he did it, because he like pulls it out and like pours it into his hand out of his pocket, yeah. and he's like, ha, 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 like turns around to do it, and then it gets kicked into his face. For a second, I thought, since he's uh, a term that they do use, maybe not at this point in the match, but they call him the psycho yuppie, which is I don't know if I heard pretty that great. One. It's like Polly Dangerously, the psycho yuppie, and it's like, oh, that's amazing. But he, I was like, maybe, I thought maybe he fainted a fake, like, drug reference like he was like sniffing some of the powder which would make sense for a yuppie joke or whatever but they refer to him as the psycho yuppie which i was like why does that never lasted i guess because he's only Polly dangerously here he's paul Heyman later when he puts the hat on when he gains the weight but after knocking the the powder back into paulie's face it allows cornet to rip dangerously's pants off oh to win the match, and Paul E goes running down the entryway in his teal. Underwear. And he does it very, he does it very like like cartoony, where he's like holding his like 
crotch and his butt like very like front back front back yeah. but he's like lifting his knees up to like his fucking neck like in his run and it's very funny and everybody gets a big kick out of it it's very looney tunes but they make some bvds and fruit of the looms jokes but he's wearing like seriously like you said like teal you know tidy whities i don't think a lot of people wear like briefs yeah. like that not boxer briefs i think like that's what most people wear at this point but like I yeah i don't know what do you wear i'm a boxers boxer briefs guy so like you don't wear just like those boxers that are where they're just the shorts and they're loose yeah like i don't i can't do that it's got to be tighter on the sides on my legs got a hug but uh he's wearing like straight up like tidy whities but they're teal so yeah. and they're a little bit like they're not you know they're a little nicer i guess I guess it's probably good kind of fruit. Yeah, maybe they're teal just because so you don't so you don't have to see his ass crack. Because if they were white, you'd probably see his ass crack. Yeah. We then get Gordon Sully in the back with Gary Hart talking about great Jim Cornette. No, is this where he does the the second kiss of the of the racket and throws it down? Oh yeah, yeah, it's fun. He gets a really big pop and it's really nice because it's like it's Jim Cornette. We know how much he loves wrestling. We know that. You know, he probably had a good time doing this, but it was just for the right reason. It's yeah. like, he's not a wrestler. He doesn't see himself as a wrestler. He's a lifer. And it was just kind of a fun, a moment that I really was like, it made me very happy. To see it was a very fun, very yeah. fun little match there. Uh, so like I said, Gary Hart's back there with Gordon Sully in the back uh, talking about Great Muda. And Gary Hart says, let the whole world know that Japan has the best athletes. And I figured you probably agree with that statement. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm thinking, I'm like, well, I don't want to just be like, hmm, like, you know, this place has the best anything. Because, like, everybody's, like, there's, anybody can be great. But cultures are different. And in that, that's a culture where the work people put in to be great is quite a bit stronger. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's totally a different different thing. Yeah. And then he says he's Muda's calling down the power of the Mystic Orient into his own being. Fuck yeah, dude! Sounds badass, think... but it sounds super racist at the same time. Oh uh, well, it was just because he said Orient, but you know, channeling some ghosts. Uh, there's this really great old like ghost. This, in in Japan, ghosts are just a thing. They're just spirits. They're not mm-hmm. all like evil. There's yeah. good ones and bad ones and stuff. There's so, Caspers. Yeah, there's Caspers, but there's like just like spirits for there's like slimers. for trees and stuff, like in like Shinto and stuff. But there's an old like anthology movie, like your creep shows or whatever. But this is like a all like Edo period, like Japan, like a bunch of like spooky stories. Mm-hmm. And uh when I see like Muda do that stuff and he's like calling down, you know, a spirit from fucking whatever i just think of stuff like that where it's like oh it's like oh this is very japanese but then they say they drop words like he's the pearl of the orient (laughs) and they say it just like that and i'm like oh well you kind of took away some of the mysticism but at the time it probably sounded pretty mystic and we'll see here muta has a section there's like a muta section with like a sign and fans and you can hear the chants and there's a person with the whole sign that they drew and it says pearl of the orient and i'm like fuck yeah and then we're headed off to our fifth match, which is the Varsity Club of the Games Master Kevin Sullivan and Mike Rotunda versus the Steiner Brothers of Rick and Scott with Missy Hyatt and, and Spike. Not Spot, it's Spike. I was excited to see Spike. 
What an ugly dog. I like him. In a Texas tornado match. What does that mean? means that all four men can be in the ring at the same time. Oh, okay. So, that makes sense now. So, like, every time we complained about how a tag team match was in a steel cage, mm-hmm. and we were like, why the heck would they tag in and out in a steel cage? It should be a everyone for themselves match. Yeah, a brawl. That's a Texas Tornado match. Well, I like it. I'm a fan. I, I love Texas Tornado matches. I think, okay, Texas Tornado match. <laughs> Texas Tornado match with... Two tornadoes in each ring. Never mind. I'm getting over my head. This is too much, right? It's already too much. I don't, I don't know where you're going with this. Well, I was going to say, two rings, but like if you have the tornado match, you need... To, like Okay, so a regular Texas tornado match, you would need more than one. Because it's two guys in the ring, but you would need a guy on the outside to count if people are out. And somebody in the ring to count falls. So you need more than one ref for a regular Texas tornado match. Well, I don't understand what you're saying. Because it's not fouls count anywhere. No, 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 no. Fouls still saying, have to happen but in the, thing the ring. Is, if they're outside of the ring, they still have to count them out. No, because it's a no. Basically, it's a no DQ. Okay, no DQ, but there has to be a fall in the ring. Yeah. Okay. Well, just that's... it just means it's a tag match, but it's not. They don't have to tag. Everyone's just legal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, that's I get that, but I was like, so I thought um, you could still we, be counted have, out. No, there's no. Because, but that could be interesting, especially with four rings. There's too much. To do here, but for the sake of kind you're, of a blood you're feud, you're thinking way too much. About I am. This match. I am. It's a blood feud. I want the best for Spike's father. So the match starts as soon as the Steiners get in the ring. Scott hits a back body drop on Rotundo while Sullivan throws Rick to the floor. The dog-faced Gremlin gets his head rammed into the timekeeper's table by the games master, and then hit by a chair shot to the head. But Rick no sells it and starts throwing punches. Sullivan, Sullivan blocks a chair shot from the gremlin and crotches Rick on a guardrail. No. Rotunda and Scott are in the ring brawling all this time. Sullivan rams the gremlin's head into the ring steps. Scott with some mounted punches, a hip toss, attempts a clothesline, but Rotunda ducks and Scott goes to the floor. Gamesmaster has the gremlin back in the ring. Irish whips him into a flying clothesline from Rotunda. And then we get a second rope clothesline from Sullivan to Rick. Solomon did something? Sick. Scott blocks his head from being <laughs> rammed into the turnbuckle and reverses it on Rotunda. We get a belly-to-belly suplex from the Gremlin to the Games Master. Fucking take that shit. While Scott hits a running power slam into the turnbuckle on Rotunda. Rick then hits a power slam. Scott rolls up Rotunda with a small package. Both of them get two counts on their respective guys. Rick with mounted punches, but Sullivan tosses him over the ropes to the floor. Rotunda with a snap suplex on Scott for a near fall. Varsity Club with a double clothesline, jumping leg drop by Rotunda onto Scott, while Sullivan hits a snapmare on Rick, and both of them get two counts. Gremlin hits a sunset flip, when he, but when he can't get the Game Master over, he begins to headbutt him in the groin. <laughs> this, is me, this is the sound of me pumping my fist, because I love the dog-faced Gremlin, and I love this spot, and it fits his dumb little character, and it totally pops the crowd because we all hate the man from Singapore. We all hate the evil games master that just looks like your your uncle's shitty friend. Once back up, Rick hits a Steiner line on Sullivan, and Rotunda goes to help Sullivan, but Scott with another small package from behind for another near fall. Games master tosses Rick from the ring, again allowing the varsity club to hit a double back body drop on Scott. 
Gremlin brings a stretcher in with him, but Sullivan grabs it, hitting Rick over the head while Rotunda tosses Scott. I do not remember a stretcher. (laughs) Am I crazy? Varsity Club with the double Irish whip goes for a double clothesline, but Rick ducks and Scott pulls the ropes down to send Rotunda over to the floor. Gremlin and Gamesmaster clothesline each other, and then Sullivan picks Rick up for a backbreaker, but Scott comes off the top rope, hitting a flying crossbody, and both Steiners land on top of Sullivan for the pin and the win. Gordon Sully's in the back with Sting and Eddie Gilbert. And Sting's like, I'm going to stay calm. Stay serious. This is the this is our our post. Like, Sting got really into he's blow really, last he's month. He's just really chill. He got real into blow last month, but now he's pretty chill. And then Gilbert says he's going to be out there to keep Gary Hart out of the picture. But Steiner win. Double Steiner, Steiner pin win? I'm good for that. I like that. Of course. It was fun. It was good. It was quick. Like, this is not a bad, like, mid-card match, right? It's a great mid-card match. Yeah. It's like lots of big spots. People actually care about these people here. We want to see Sullivan get his. People like fucking Dogface enough. Steiners are on their way up. Like, it's perfect booking. Steiners on the way up. Varsity Club on their way down. Fucking down. And we're off to our sixth match. Great Muda with Gary Hart versus Sting with Eddie Gilbert for the NWA World Television Championship. What's Eddie doing with Sting? Well, the story behind this match was that Hart and Muda would challenge Sting to a Dragon She match. I don't know exactly what a Dragon She match is. Like S-H-I? Yeah. Dragon sheep. But once once Sting accepted it, Muda all of a sudden wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. So Gilbert would go to take on Muda, but then Muda would back out of that one as well. And then at some point, Gilbert came out and threw a fireball at Muda. And so... Where's that? I want to see that. It's on Clash... Seven, I think it is. Uh, wait, it's in the middle of Clash Seven, we're not going to cover Clash. Oh, okay, seven. wait. So this happens later. I thought you meant there was a fireball before this. It's before this match, but at Clash Seven, which happened before this show. But Clash Six, we just covered. And there was a Clash Seven, but we didn't cover Clash Seven. We didn't cover Clash Seven. Why not? Because we're not covering all of the clashes, just ones that have stuff that. Okay. All right. That happened. Okay, I believe you. There's nothing really happened to Clash 7. Yeah. Other than a fireball from Eddie Gilbert, which, I don't know, whatever. It was a fireball. So it's cool. But Muda would continue to duck Sting until the match was made for Great American Bash. A gong is played to bring out Great Muda. Yeah, the Muda music, I don't know if it's real or not, but it's kind of cool. And then uh, we're told again, Muda's still undefeated. At Fuck this yeah, point. he is. Muda and Hart get into the second ring, and the ref is like, tell, hey, we're... We're going to fight over here in this first ring. So, Sting just goes flying over the top rope from ring to ring. Yeah, over the top rope, but over the top rope of the other Other ring. So, it's like over two top ropes. To hit a crossbody to start the match. It's fucking hot shit. It's good shit. Sting starts chasing Hart around the ring while Muda climbs to the top rope and comes off with a judo chop. Muda Irish whips Sting to the corner, hits the handspring back elbow, a backbreaker, and attempts the moonsault, but Stinger moves. He lands on his feet. Muda then hits a spinning heel kick, but Sting no-sells it. But a couple more kicks sends Sting to the floor, 
Bermuda hits a Piscato. Sting up on the apron with a kick to the gut, a clothesline, hits a flying clothesline from the top rope, standing drop kick that sends Muda to the floor. Once back in the ring, Sting with a scoop slam, a vertical suplex, but Muda floats over and locks on a sleeper. Then, or the Orient sleeper, or whatever they call it. And I was like, Muda's kind of is shorter than Sting. Yeah. So you can see Sting's having to kind of almost bend backwards. To like no. make sure this move stays. Considering on. how like strong and like precise Muda is, I feel like if he just like locked his legs sharply around him and just like held it in, it could have looked cool if he was like still hanging on him. So the, the sleeper kind of looked a little weak. Yeah, but not bad. Not no, bad. no, no. Sting reverses an Irish whip, hits a military press, goes for a jumping elbow drop, but Muda moves. Snap mare, snap elbow drop, and Muda puts a reverse chin lock on, and then an ab stretch, grabbing the ropes for leverage before rolling him over for a near fall. That ab stretch, I popped, I never popped for an ab stretch, unless it was like, maybe like Zack Sabre or something. But like, that Muda ab stretch was like, oh shit. Because like, Muda's a fit guy, but Sting is a big and kind of buff guy. And it was just like, he just like threw it on like nothing. Sting is tossed from the ring, but jumps right back in to deliver right hands, but Muda rakes the eyes to regain control. Uh, that, yeah. Get that dirty shit in. Muda goes for another handspring back elbow, but Sting moves from the corner, delivers multiple clotheslines, a face plant, and a standing drop kick that has Muda rolling out of the ring to catch no, his breath. I don't like this. Muda's running the ropes. Sting leapfrogs. Muda turns and sprays the mist, but Stinger has ducked. So the mist goes into the ref's eyes. Oh, is it Nick Patrick? Yep. Nick Patrick. Sting with a stinger splash, but Muda moves, hits a snapmare, and goes up for the moonsault. Tommy Young jumps in the ring for the count. One, two, Sting gets his shoulder up. How did Sting get the shoulder up on the moonsault? I don't like that. First person to kick out of the moonsault. I know. Muda goes for a roundhouse kick, but Stinger ducks and hits a back suplex with a bridge... That win was the question mark win. It's the question mark win we all deserve. Tommy Young says Sting won. Nick Patrick rolls into the ring. Muda and Gary Hart leave the ring. No one really knows what's going on. The announcers, JR and Bob, have no clue what's going on. Have no clue what's going on. It's done well enough because like it's like, okay, well, he had to put on the bridge. To pin him, like, he also got the shoulder up. It could have been done a little better. Do we want to talk about what's wrong with this? Yeah, of course. I like this match. It's good. It's very good. But two things. Mm -hmm. Usually, if you're going to do this this spot, which they've done before, the the back suplex where both people's shoulders are on the mat, don't have Sting do the bridge, because Sting is on his head doing the bridge. His shoulders yeah. are not on the mat at all. No, no. Well, then you can't. Then you just have to do the. Then you just you have the sympathy for Muda, where it's like, oh, Muda's shoulder was up. But two, Nick Patrick got sprayed with mist. He's on the opposite side of the ring. I thought outside. When I was, Muda get his shoulder up. I thought that the other. I thought there another ref came in, but Tommy Young comes in. Okay, but Tommy Young gives the win to Sting. Oh yeah, Nick Patrick. Ref gives the win to Muda because there was opposite no side of the ring. Yeah. 
with mist in his eyes. Yeah. Why? And two and three, he got sprayed with a mist. Yeah. In a DQ. Yeah. It's not the worst idea. Not the worst. But I mean, like, there's flaws here. But we've seen worse shit. And that's kind of like where I come from. I'm a little more lenient than you. Like, we both obviously think this match was great. Yes. We think the finish sucked. But for me, like, getting there is the... I didn't is, hate I, the finish. I just hate the the execution. Of the finish. Of the finish. Because there's so you can poke so many logic, logic holes yeah. in, in the finish. Which is weird because, like, we're doing that here. And these are... So much better. Oh, yes. Like, fucking... Like, listen to the first handful of... Not even the first handful. Literally, the first, this, like, literally the same finish was done in the very first match of Starcade 84, which yeah. was episode two. Yes. We had no, no clue idea. what happened. No. Those and shows, they didn't even show a replay no. to figure out what happened. Those shows were fucking pure anarchy. These have an idea what they're doing. They don't always pull it off, but sometimes they do, and when they do, it's good. Their heart's in the right place. I agree. Their Gary heart is in a place. Sometimes it's right. We go to the back. Gordon Soli's there with Lex Luger, and Luger says, I say what I mean, and the NWA may be able to dictate who ranks number one and who ranks number two, but I'm the total package. Hell yeah, he is. And no one dictates to me how to defend my title. And there, this if there's is a not match that. tonight, there will be, there will not be a no DQ stipulation. Yes. I mean, you know, Could good you tell him. that he was a heel at this point? Hell yeah. Okay. So we go to our seventh match. Ricky Steamboat versus Lex Luger for the NWA United States Heavyweight Championship. Are you going to do the intros? Uh, yeah, I'll talk about it here in a second. Okay. But the story behind this match, because, as I just said, Lex Luger is a heel. Last time we saw him, he was a face against Michael P.S.A.'s. He was, and, he was, he was tweening. And he lost the belt. Yes. So what happened? So the story behind this match, Lex would regain the title from Michael Hayes, and then would deliver some comments about how he was being held back, that he was worthy of a world championship match, instead of Steamboat or Terry Funk. Then during the Clash of Champions 7... Funk would get disqualified in a match with Steamboat by hitting him with the microphone, and Luger would come out and make the save, running off Funk. But Lex would then attack Ricky himself, announcing he was tired of making fans happy and wanted to prove he was better than Steamboat. That's a good build. Yeah, totally. I'm trying to figure out why didn't, how did Clash 7 happen before this? It's, it's not a whole year in between. Clash is a show that they just put on whenever. Fuck. That's why there's like 35 of them is over, Jesus. like over like a course of like I'm like, seven I'm thinking, years. you said Clash Seven. I was like, this makes no sense. And I'm like, why didn't we watch Clash Seven? This sounds great. Because Clash isn't a pay per view. No, it's yeah. a cable I, I, special. Yeah. And so it's kind of like Saturday Night Main, main Event, where they have like Saturday Night Main Events, like the show, and then they have the main event where it's like the the finale exactly. of it, kind yeah. of in a way. So it's just like these intermittent. Yeah. Bigger shows, but none, we're only covering the ones that like have significant yeah meaning. But Clash Six was pretty long. I don't know. I'm just, I was just like I, when you said seven, it threw me off, man. That's all. I mean, we didn't watch two, three, or four or five either. No, we did not. But we're we're in a time where like we're getting into cable and stuff. 
That's we where don't, I was we don't want to watch every TV show. We just want to watch no. the big show. No, sir, I do not. We just want to watch the no, we big do not. Shows. And I should. And I am upset for myself for making any complaint because there is too many shows as it goes. Exactly. But sometimes I'm just like, man, that would have been nice to know. And I guess I can do that on my own. You could. Or you could just wait until we record and then... And then bitch to you about it, and I'm sorry. And this is my apology. This is my confession. So, Steamboat's being led out to the ring by his family. Bonnie and Little Dragon are walking out. Oh, but wait. And then he is being carried to the ring on a board. It's a board. It's not a platform. It is a board. It's a board. And all the people carrying him have, like, geese on. Yeah. And he is carrying a Komodo dragon. But what's wait, wait, <laughs> yeah, so wait a second. So not only is he on a board being carried Good by dragon. guys holding a, a Komodo, Komodo dragon, dragon, that Komodo dragon has a leather uh, jacket on. And not only is it a leather jacket, that leather jacket is a studded leather jacket. <laughs> he's a he's a leather daddy Komodo dragon. He's a leather daddy Komodo dragon. For sure. And like this board, like there's guys and there's like maybe like nine there's like six guys. There, yeah, there's maybe six guys, maybe more than that. But like, they are having a hard time holding him up just because of like the board is so small. It's such a weird looking contraption. Yeah, it's like oh, if this board was wider, then like the like weight would be distributed better, and like yeah. But it's very funny. But we finally start seeing also at this point there's an actual stage and a ramp. That yeah, they're, yeah. So like. WCW's upping their production. Oh yeah, they are. And actually having like a They paid somebody to they, they paid for a kimono drag. Exactly. Because But this is very funny. Cuz like that's what happens when Steamboat comes out. Luger, they announce Luger and he's on a device. It's a lazy Susan. It's a lazy Susan. It's supposed to spin around, but it stops. <laughs> it's not, and you can see him like you know when you're he's standing like, on trying to like get it yeah to go. yeah he's like when you're standing on something you like shift your weight to like try to get it to spin because they're wanting it to, and it doesn't. So he's like doing a pose so it spins around, sees his entire because body, he's a total but package. it stalls completely. And he like tries to get it going again, and it's amazing. And you can see that he's kind of annoyed and everything. Yeah, but, then but he, 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 he yeah he goes through. Back. He doesn't like he doesn't let it ruin his night. He's got a, a match to put on. So as he's walking to the Luger's walking to the ring, the announcer says that it's a no DQ match. They still haven't. The board director still hasn't waived that 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 stipulation. But Luger takes the mic and says, "Unless Ricky waives the the stipulation, there will be no match." And Gary Chester, one of the NWA head honchos, gets into read talking to Steamboat, and Steamboat finally agrees, and the match is on. Steamboat, of course, agrees because he's faceboat. Lex is using his power early on, but misses a hammer on the dragon as he moves and rolls the total package up with a small package. Ooh. Ricky with chops reverses an Irish whip, rolls Luger up with an inside cradle, a jackknife pin attempt, multiple drop kicks, and back to chops. Steamboat tossing Lex to the corner hits a back body drop and more chops before Luger escapes to the outside. Ricky follows, continuing the chop fest, slams Luger's head on the apron, Ducks a clothesline attempt and hits an atomic drop. Dragon finally rolls total package back into the ring, but Lex hits a knee as Steamboat tries to get in. Luger's now with an axe handle, a clothesline on the outside, but Ricky fires back with chops, slamming his head on the table at ringside. The dragon comes off the top rope for a chop, but the total package meets him with a punch to the gut. 
Lex with a backbreaker, more axe handles to the back, a military press, continues to work on Ricky's back. Gotta set him up for that torture rack. Fuck yeah, dude. Luger starts arguing with the ref that his count isn't fast enough when Steamboat rolls him up with a small package for a near fall. Lex back with the multiple clotheslines, but Dragon's up swinging wildly because he's out of it. Just like, yeah, Aah! yeah, just swinging at the corner. That's the uh, the spirit. Exactly. The spirit of the of the man of of the, of the face, right? The fighting spirit unleashed. <laughs> exactly. You got it. You can't. They. I. He won't give up. We get a rubber band slam by the total package, but Ricky retaliates with chops into the corner. So the ref stops him from hitting Luger, allowing Lex to deliver a cheap shot. The ref starts arguing with the total package, who shoves Tommy Young, and the ref shows him back, and then runs and <laughs> makes sure that he doesn't get hit back. Yeah. He, like, runs off, scurries off. Power slam by Luger, then Irish whips the dragon, who ducks a clothesline and comes back with a crossbody for a two-count. Inverted atomic drop, tosses Steamboat to the ropes... And Luger drops the head, allowing Ricky to hit a swinging next breaker. JR says, I, I like this line, Lex with the Western Union gram telegraphing his move. <laughs> yes, that was very noticeable and very good. And like we are kind of downplaying the commentary. And it's not bad. It's just not Jesse Gorilla good. No, I mean, it's still it's JR it's, and Bob, but JR is definitely JR's, he's stepping up his game for sure. Steamboat scoops up Luger, but the total package floats over, goes for a clothesline, but the dragon ducks, sending Lex over the ropes to the floor. Ricky with punches, hammers across the chest, a scoop slam to bring Luger into the ring, but his leg gives way, with with Lex Lex landing on top for a near fall. Total package sends the dragon to the corner, where Steamboat jumps to the second rope, leaps frogs, a charging Luger, and then Ricky charges in, but Lex gets a knee up. Luger goes to the top rope, but Steamboat is there to press slamming to the mat. Chops, drop kick, punches, a top rope karate chop for the two count. Ricky's frustrated, charges into Lex, who back body drops into the other ring. Shouldn't that be a disqualification? I don't know. But the ref just follows them over to the other ring, so I guess they can use either ring. Yeah, why not? It's worked every other time since exactly. tonight. Luger grabs a chair and brings it into the ring, but the ref blocks well, him from using it. That's, uh, that's not going to work. Allowing Ricky to take Lex down with a double leg takedown and then catapulting him into the turnbuckle with the chair still in his hands. Oh, it's a cute spot. The dragon then picks up the chair and the ref tries to stop him, but he starts hitting the total package with the chair multiple times no, before Ricky can escape. No, Ricky! But Ricky chases him down the entryway. No, Ricky! And Lex Luger is our winner. No, Ricky. By disqualification. No, Ricky. Like the like the spot into the corner yeah. is fine because like Ricky didn't do it, so it still it still could be the DQ. And then the idea is that he's so upset by it that he's like, "Fuck you, I've had enough." But like, I mean, that's what they're going for. But like, he could they either way they could have called the DQ, but maybe he's like. Fuck you. We'll finish this in a cage. Let me put a bunch of damage in you now. I don't know. It was one of the things, like, it was weird to see Ricky do that, right? Yeah, I mean, he's the face, but he did show the frustration Mm -hmm. of nothing really working. Yeah, I didn't by any means hate it. I was just, like, kind of like, something's missing. I mean, I think a lot of people complain that, like, it's not in 
Steamboat's character to to do this. Yeah, but people turn face and heal all the time. That's not. But I, like I said, you could see the frustration on his face, and yeah. then so therefore I had no issue with it, yeah. and it continued the feud. Totally. I mean, like I get it. It was okay, but it was also one of those things. Like he brought it in, he gets pissed. He uses it. I understood everything that happened. Yeah. I was just like, I like I said, while you were talking about the match, I was yelling, no, Ricky. I was yelling that because that's how I felt I was happening. And that's an okay feeling to have. It's the perfect response. Exactly. To yeah. It's like if I'm popping for some shit that happened in 1989, like, we're good. So JR is at ringside. He sends us to a pre-recorded interview with the fabulous Freebirds and the Samoan SWAT team. Jimmy Garvin, Michael Hayes are given their... They're usually great promos. Yes. Uh, Hayes says this line, Understand this. We go in the outdoor. We go up the downstairs. We are in and out of trouble. We are the talk of the town. And we get wild in the streets when the sun goes down. And the sun is set and it's time for war. (laughs) So it's very good. The SWAT team are... Being savages and just like yeah, licking well, each other's like, face. What's his face? Like uh, Fatu yeah. is just like licking. He's just, like got his tongue out, and there's like one part where he's like licking Samu's face, and obviously Samu's like, "Yo, dude, so, like we don't have to sell it this hard." And he's like still going super hard, and he does like a thing where he like fake bites his arm, and the other guy's like, "I guess I'll bite your arm," but it's just like very awkward because they're like staring at the camera and it goes on for a really long time and they could have done stuff like around the camera but they just like stay in that one spot and it is very bizarre but ps kills it ps does kill it and then terry gordy finishes it off by saying we're gonna drop the bomb tonight yes it's a good lines not necessarily like perform particularly well but terry gordy is not a very scary looking guy that's why you have Garvin and Hayes do the talking. Yeah. It's like, the thing is, like, there's like, talk. yeah, it's like Bam Bam Terry Gordy. And it's like, yeah, he looks, he looks like, uh, like a street gang's, like, you know, like chubby younger brother. It's like, ah, he's just not that scary looking. I don't know what you're talking about. We then go to pre recorded in- interview with the Midnight Express, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and the Road Warriors. And a C- Stan Lane is the one taking the mic, which. I've never heard Lane or Bobby Eaton ever Talk do a promo. Like I was like, where's Cornette? Why is Cornette not here talking for these two guys? Yeah. That's that's why he's around. Yeah, but it was kind of fun just to see him do it. But as he's talking, you see Steve Williams. This is the good shit. Fly in like Superman. Yes. But he turns his head right towards the camera <laughs> and like has this goofiest grin on his face. It's so good. And then he turns around and goes back the other way. And he's like flying around. And what is his excuse? I'm a bird crusher. Yes! Looking for my bug spray to kill the Samoans. It's so good. And then the Warriors show up, and Williams acknowledges that him and the Warriors have had their differences, but we're all crazy and wanting to be winners. And then Hawk tells the Samoan SWAT team, when we're done with you, we're going for family members. (laughs) It was probably actually my least favorite Road Warriors promo that i've seen in a while oh so. really i thought it was fine but they are the stuff in the like the two right in front of it like their team's promo and then the you know i guess face promo i don't yeah. know which one's the face of the heel here oh it's the, the express williams and the road warriors are the face yeah promos. yeah but like the heel promo like 
is good. It's it was so pretty good. good. It's good. I mean, you can't yes. comp- you yeah. can't compete with Garvin and Hayes in a, in a yeah. promo. But like Doctor, yeah, Doctor Death does this thing. It's pretty good. I liked it. It's funny. It's funny. It's good. And it, I don't think that was entertaining. I don't think the Road Warriors was bad. It just wasn't great. As good as what you would yeah. look for from them. But the thing is, like they they don't have those kind of personalities. So no. it was like if they pulled out a P.S. Hayes promo, you'd be like, that sucked. Because it, that's a P.S. Hayes promo. So we're headed off to our eighth match. We got the fabulous Freebirds of Michael P.S. Hayes, Jimmy Garvin, and Terry Bam Bam Gordy. And the Samoan SWAT team of Fatu and Samu with Polly dangerously in their corner. Versus the Road Warriors of Hawk and Animal. The Midnight Express of Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton. And Dr. Death Steve Williams with Jim Cornette and Paul Ellering in their corner for a War Games match. You know what the best, my favorite thing about this match might be? I don't know. You tell me. Motorcycle intro? Motorcycle intro is good. Uh, also, they finally played their like half-ass uh, Black Sabbath "We Are Iron Men" tune. Yes, and I was like, "Oh, I finally get to hear it on television while I'm watching it, as opposed to listening to it on like YouTube or whatever." It's like, "Ah, oh, I get to watch it while I'm watching it." It's like they didn't edit it, and it's like, "How do they not do this?" But I, it's, I mean, it's definitely a different key because like I'm a big Black Sabbath fan, so I was like, "Oh, like." It's in a different key, and I don't know how like karaoke music works, where it's the same song but they do it in a different key or whatever. So, but like it's in a different key, and it's not the actual song Iron Man, and there's sure. different vocals. So I was like, okay. So before then, they probably just came out to actual Iron Man, which would be different. Oh yeah, they came out to the real Iron Man. Back yeah, yeah, and this is not that, and it's one of those things where like, okay, well, you know, we don't want to pay for that, and it's in a different key, and it's definitely different. So there was a story behind this match uh, at Wrestle War, the last show, last week's show. Yeah, best best logo in the game. The World Tag Team Championships have been vacated because of the actions of the Varsity Club. We we wondered like, what's this all leading up to? Well, here's what happened. So there was a tag team tournament. They had it to determine the new champion. The Road Warriors would get beaten. And in the finals, the Freebirds defeated the Midnight Express. Wait, so, who beat the Road Warriors? Uh, the, I don't remember. Dynamic Dudes? <laughs> Dynamic no, Dudes it was, beat them. But basically, the Freebirds defeated the Midnight Express in the uh-huh. finals. The Road Warriors and Samoa SWAT team would interfere in each other's matches during the tournament to basically eliminate each other. Yeah. And Terry Gordy had defeated Williams and... In a match with the help of other Freebirds, which led to the Express making the save, and that made Steve Williams a friend of the Express as well. We have our five men on each side. Mm-hmm. As you said, the Road Warriors ride motorcycles uh, down to the. They like ride on the back of motorcycles, and the guys that are driving the motorcycles look like little fucking like rock and roll sleaze bags. It's pretty great. And we're told that the Freebirds and Smo SWAT team won the coin toss, so they would have the odd number advantage in the match. Shocker, I know, right? Yeah, the yeah. heels have the advantage. Who, who knew? Who knew? Uh, though, like, just the pyro on these on these WCW Presents NWA shows, it's very funny, and it's very good. And there's, like, one, I know we've already got, we've already watched it, but Steamboat's there with his, like, kid, and there's, like, fireworks falling, and he's, like, covering his kid up, and it's just funny. It's like, oh, these fireworks wouldn't be happening now. Not like that. We get maybe some pyro, but not pyro like that, where it just like it looks like 
It was like glued, yeah. <laughs> glued to the like, just like taped to the fucking lighting rig. So the rules of the war games match, if you've never seen one, after five minutes, well, mm-hmm. two two wrestlers start. Yes. After five minutes, another wrestler will enter, and then every two minutes after that, another member of the opposing team and no pinning attempt before everybody's in until all 10 men are in the ring the match beyond begins and it doesn't end until someone submits or Or surrenders surrenders. there's no pins no no so it's like oh you gotta yeah submit or or surrender but it's a basically a double cage match so we have these two rings and then one huge over both yeah yeah we go, there's 10 guys, so it's like, well, we don't have... One ring can't hold 10 guys. But the funny thing is that a lot of this match, it like just moves from one ring to the mm-hmm. other ring. It's not spread out over both rings. The no, action's no. usually in one of the rings. That's kind of one of the things that was smart about the first match, where they actually used both the rings in an interesting way. So the match starts off. Garvin and Eaton start the match off by exchanging right hands. Eaton hits a swinging neck breaker, but then misses an elbow drop, and Garvin hits a scoop slam. Eaton reverses an Irish whip, hits an atomic drop, charges in, and Garvin gets a boot up and throws beautiful Bobby into the cage. Samu grabs Eaton's hair from the outside of the ring. Like, Eaton's, like, right next to the yeah. to the cage, and Samu's, like, grabbing him. It was, a, it was it fun. fun. Yeah, it's like, oh, they're doing, the, they're, doing the, they're doing the thing they should be doing. Garvin tries to slam Bobby's head into the turnbuckle, but is blocked and reversed. Eaton leaps up to grab the ceiling, hits a swinging kick. Yes, that's nice. I always love it when people use the top of the cage in a way like that. Also hits a hip toss, a snapmare, tosses Jimmy to the ropes, who comes back with a forearm. Hayes is taunting Eaton from the outside, saying, this is war. Duh. We get multiple backbreakers, scoop slam, and beautiful Bobby rolls Garvin over for a Boston Crab. And five minutes is up, and Terry Gordy is in. Gordy throws Eaton into the cage, a scoop slam, and Garvin delivers an elbow drop. The Freebirds then toss Bobby from one ring to the other and deliver double back elbows. Gordy goes for a forearm, but Eaton ducks, and Garvin takes the brunt of the blow. The Freebirds throw Eaton into the cage again, and two minutes is up, and Dr. Death Steve Williams is in. Dr. Death goes right after Gordy, ducks a double clothesline for the Freebirds to deliver one of his own. Williams then throws Bam Bam to the other ring and follows over, reverses an Irish whip, and lifts Gordy up with a military press. How many times? Eight. Really? Eight Jesus. times. Gordy's not the smallest guy. Gordy is 6'6", six, six, is over really six, six? 300 pounds. He's a little doughy, but he's still, he's still 300, 300 pounds, 300 pounds. And he's doing this military press eight times into the top of the cage oh. before dropping him to the mat. That's brutal. Garvin chokes away on Eaton while Gordy hits a clothesline on Dr. Death. Two more minutes is up and Samu comes into the ring. We get a spinning heel kick, a falling headbutt, a regular headbutt, a back suplex from Gordy and Samu to Williams. A three-point stance shoulder tackle to Gordy from Dr. Death. Gordy and Samu still teaming up to hit a double-team suplex to Williams. Two more minutes is up, Animal's in. Animal going after everyone, hitting multiple clotheslines to Samu and Gordy. Dr. Death with a flying crossbody off the top rope onto Gordy. Animal jumps from one ring to the other. Ugh, that's pretty nasty. Delivering a shoulder tackle to Samu. 
Eaton tosses Garvin into a clothesline from Animal, and then Williams does the same to Gordy. Eaton tosses Samu into a double clothesline from Dr. Death and Animal. Gordy's firing up with clotheslines of his own to Williams and Eaton, and another two minutes is up and Fatu is in. The Samoans go after Animal with chokes, double headbutts, double clotheslines, a wishbone spot. Uh, I love a wishbone spot. Multiple double falling headbutts. There's lots of brawling going on. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a it's more, more, it's more war games, baby. Coming into the ring, less actual wrestling moves and more just like, like yeah, you're t- it's like standing you're... over in a corner acting like we're punching each other. Yeah. basically. we get some rabbit punches and a headbutt from Eaton to Garvin, and two more minutes is up. Sweet Stan Lane's in. Garvin and Fatu meet him and attempt to throw him into the cage, but Lane blocks and rams him into the cage himself. Sweet Stan then throws Gordy into the cage, kicks Samu, and lets him join the face meets cage party. The and cage is the cheese grater. The cage is a weapon. Fatu's thrown into the cage once again by Lane. <laughs> Brawling continuing among everyone. Animal and Williams toss Fatu to the corner, and then both men charge in with clotheslines. Another swinging kick from Eaton on Garvin. Two more minutes is up, and Michael P.S. Hayes is in. Thank God. P.S. hits DDTs to everybody. Fuck yes. Does some strutting Hell and yeah. some taunting of Hawk from the outside. Of course. Dude, his his Hawk taunt. And like before, I think it's before Fatu goes in, he's like he's like trying to like coach Fatu whenever he enters the ring. And he's like, eat, eat, kill, kill. And he's like basically giving him fucking directives like it's like a dog or something. And it's very fun, and P.S. is very animated on the outside of the cage, very animated on the inside of the cage. His shit talk to Animal on the outside of the cage is very good as well. We get a spinning heel kick, and Lane slams Hayes' head on the turnbuckle. And Dr. Death is tossed to the ropes and hit with a clothesline from Gordy. Two minutes is up, and Hawk is in. Let the match beyond begin. Double clothesline on the Samoans as Hawk get in. Clothesline to Hayes, chops... And right hands, a double team clothesline to Gordy with Williams, lifts Garvin up and Lon darts him onto the turnbuckle. Oh. Eaton with a DDT on Hayes and Samu. Hawk with a flying shoulder tackle from one ring to the other on Samu. Beautiful Bobby tosses Hayes into the cage. Samu's trying to get the phone from Paulie. But it's too big. What a good spot. He's it's like so trying to push big, it in. Too big. But like it's like it's like, you can't, you go, can't see, it's not going to fit through this but the chain The best part is Tommy Young is literally standing right there looking at him like... It's like, what the fuck? I can see you trying to cheat. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. It's like as if you could cheat in a match like this. Big boots from Hawk to both members of the Samoan SWAT team. We get a rubber band slam from Lane to Garvin. Eaton tosses Hayes into the cage again. Animal's calling Hawk over. He's like, hey, come here. We can do this doomsday device on Gordy. Yeah, we got to get him somehow. But Garvin hits Animal with a knee, but Hawk ends up hitting a flying clothesline on Jimmy. Hawk then hits Garvin with a neckbreaker and lifts him with a hangman's neckbreaker. Dude, that hangman's neckbreaker, why is that not a thing? Because it looks amazing. All of a sudden, Tommy Young runs into the ring and he is like, are you giving up? Are you submitting? Yeah. And he calls for the bell. Jimmy Garvin has submitted... And the Midnight Express, Road Warriors, and Dr. Death are our winners yes. of the War Games match. Dude, uh, like, I am not a big War Games match guy. I have found that I'm not either. But 
I understand it too. Like, it's fine. I will say that this Hangman's Neckbreaker is a disgusting-looking move and a perfect way to end that kind of match. Exactly. Not that this is a perfect match or anything, but, like, no pins. You gotta submit or surrender. Like, yo, that shit by that guy submitting and surrendering all at once, whatever it is I need to do for him to not break my neck, that's the kind of move that is good for this. And everybody's on the other side, so he got like his chance to put it in, and it was fine. Yeah. It's like, this match is not a spot fest like they and probably end up in, turning into. Like, the other War Games matches that we watched have like literally both submissions were in the middle of a whole bunch of other people brawling. Yeah, yeah. They it's are they enough. are in this ring by themselves basically yeah. and everyone can see what is happening. And everybody's been in long enough that you all get it. It's like one guy gets you one guy gets you in like in some deep shit and we've all been doing this for a while. We are all beat the fuck up. So like everybody's kind of on a level playing field as far as Anybody can lose to anybody is kind of the idea, right? Yeah. Because, like, it's all kind of luck of the draw, but everybody's worn out once everybody's in. But that hangman's, whatever, neck breaker, so what good. a move. So why, why is that on a thing that I see? I wouldn't mind seeing that from somebody. I'm going to make it my finisher. <sighs> you, do, you need to grow a foot. Because, <laughs> like, that's a move you got to be tall for. So post-match, Williams and Lane lift Animal up in celebration. Everyone's... Getting out of the ring, but the yeah. Samoan stop Animal before he makes it out of the ring. Garvin's holding the door closed while the rest attack Animal. Bullshit. Bullshit. Lane and Williams start climbing the cage, hoping they can get in from the top, but there's there's no way <laughs> in from the top. Eh, I mean, it's all it's all just for visuals. Hawk is finally able to get the cage door open, and all of a sudden, all the heels hightail it through the other cage door. There's another one. There's two. Why, why didn't the faces just run around and come in the other cage door? <laughs> Poking logic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you know, it, the shit was hot. They just needed to get in there. They didn't think about it. They were excited. Endorphins were running. Gordon Soli in the back with Ric Flair. And Soli asks him why he's returning when one more injury and you could be done for. And my thought was, so why does anyone, anyone wrestle? wrestle? Well, this, this, I really like this, uh, like, Ric Flair, like, humanistic thing where like he brings it down and like talks about his neck and stuff but he never goes he never does like big loud like coke flare very quiet and very like he brings it down not jake the snake dramatic but he brings it down in a more realistic way where it's like he's just he's just rick flair he's not woo rick flair he's just he's just rick flair Right? He's being very serious. Exactly. Basically. Being very serious, but like the other times he thought he was serious too, but this, like, he was serious, but now he feels sincere. He's being flamboyant serious. He feels, now he's, he's like, no, he's sincere. I'm, in, I'm sincere. Yeah. He knows he's in for a war. Yeah. He's, yeah. And it's like he's very level headed about all of it, and it's very good. We're told that this is going to be his first match back since Wrestle War. Yeah. Like, he hadn't taken any, like, TV. No. Matches or anything to prepare himself. And they even ask him, they're like, do you think you're ready? You're going to be And good. he was like, yo, it's Terry Funk. I'm He's 120%. Like, Is that what he says? Yeah. It's not 100%. 120%. 120%. Yeah. And they talk about Funk going for the neck. And he's like, yeah, I know what he's going to do. Like, we're good. It's like, in my mind, I'm ready kind of thing. He's like, are you physically ready? He's like, 
my mind and my spirit I'm ready or whatever so you know but it's very low it's very like it feels like a Jake the Snake promo more but than it was a still a Rick good Flair promo. promo no it's very very good I'm just saying that it's not like it's not like flamboyant flair it's he's he's going into this like ready for a fist fight and then we get JR and Bob previewing the main event so we're headed off to our ninth match Terry Funk with Gary Hart versus Ric Flair for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Funk is accompanied to the ring by a bunch of security guards. I'm yeah. assuming because everyone hates him. Does he have his branding? He does have his branding. And he's got like his like blue, um, what are those called? Poncho? Well, he's got his poncho, but is he wearing like the uh, the leg things? I'm only a half-assed hillbilly. Looks like chaps. He's got some like chaps. Oh, on. yeah, his chaps Probably on. Probably blue chaps yeah. on, yeah. But he's getting booed pretty hard. People are trying to touch him. Probably because of people trying to hold him back from being touched. So We then get a waterfall of pyro as Flair <laughs> that waterfall comes bite. out. And then is joined by four lovely ladies. And the two men start brawling on the outside. Well, it's one fall to a finish, by the way. It is. Yeah, it's not just one fall in 60 minutes. It's just to a finish. To a finish. There's no time limit. One fall to a finish sounds nice. That's all. That's all I'm getting at. It doesn't really matter. It's always 60 minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, but one fall to a finish. So the two men start brawling on the outside. Flair's back in the ring styling and profiling. Hell yeah. Funk walking around the ring when Rick comes from behind with a double axe handle from the apron. Terry ends up flinging a chair into the ring, but, but the ref kicks it out. And they finally lock up in the ring and we get a chop party. Flair with a chop that sends Funk to the outside and delivers another axe, double axe handle from the apron. Terry rams Rick's head into the ring post, and Funk brings Flair back into the ring with a vertical suplex. Yes, this shit is hot. He goes for another suplex, but Nature Boy blocks and rolls out of the ring. But Terry starts working on the neck of Flair. Why wouldn't he? You gave him a pile driver. Might as well start working on it now. Oh yeah, pile driver. We talked about it. Rick's back up on the apron, hits a headbutt, lifts Funk up for a suplex, but loses his grip, and both men are down on the outside. More chops, punches, eye rakes from both men. Terry sets up for the pile driver, but Flair backbody drops Funk over the ropes to the outside. Jesus, man. This is like fucking true nasty strong style shit. Yes. Like, we have watched enough Flair matches. Mm-hmm. And then this match started, and it kind of... You watch enough of the matches of a single yeah. person, you're going to be like, okay, well, there's the greatest hits. Yeah, yeah, there's the greatest like, hits. Okay, yeah. he's going to do that, he's going to do that. No, this is a fucking fight. This is a fight. <laughs> yeah. There is no, like, wrestling. No, like, it's a fight. There is... He, there, like, changed his style for this match. There is definitely, like, psychology to what's happening here. Mm-hmm. But it is a fucking brawl. And there is wrestling moves... But it is seriously like a fucking blood feud. Nature Boy starts working on Terry's neck by twisting it, hitting multiple running knee drops for a two count. Flair hits multiple pile drivers on Funk, but Terry rolls out of the ring and starts crawling down the entry. I couldn't believe the pile drivers that early. Natch tosses Funk back in the ring and we get a... Terry fires back with punches, but Flair hits a running forearm, a back suplex, and locks on the figure four. It's all nothing but, like, it's either punches or power moves. It's suplexes. Suplexes into the ring, like, fucking knee drops onto a body part to set up a 
figure four or a spinning toe hold, which is a big Funk move. Gary Hart then puts Funk's branding iron next to him and then distracts the ref for Terry to hit Rick with it. And Flair is busted open in Baltimore. Where we had issues in Baltimore before, I believe, haven't we? Lex Luger getting disqualified for a mm, cut over his head. Yeah, yeah, that was rough. That was in Baltimore. We didn't like that. Where's the athletic commission now? I'm too busy trying to make that money, baby. We haven't seen blood in a while from an NWA show. Not real ass blood. I think the only other blood we've seen since the Luger thing was the Wyndham Luger match in yeah. Wyndham's hand. Yeah, but like it's been a little while. They've cleaned up the whole like blood every match because that was a big running joke for a while. Yeah. It's like oh, so like the every match starts with color, and this one makes sense because it's a fucking fight. And like it's a tire iron, and like it looks, it looks good, and like that, yeah. They're not a tire iron, but it's the branding iron. But the branding iron looks like you know, it's thin, it's strong, and it will break your skin. Funk hits a pile driver on Nature Boy for the pin, and Flair has his foot on the rope. Terry goes to the floor, starts removing the pad from around the ring. Hell yeah. Funk then chokes Rick with the tape or from around his wrist and goes for a pile driver on the floor, but Flair reverses it into a back body. Dr- back in the ring, Terry hits multiple swinging neck breakers, left hands to the cut above the eye, and slams his head into the turnbuckle. Grabs the branding iron, but Flair low blows him and picks up the iron himself to hit Funk over the head. Terry is rammed face first into the post, and now Funk is busted open in, in Baltimore. Baltimore. Who, who dug deeper? <laughs> like Flair? No, no, no. Who? Like no. Like Terry's blade job is so much more immediately deeper, and he just starts bleeding way harder. I feel like. I mean, both of them. Both of them are bleeding. Just, literally, but like, just like hit their forehead and probably start bleeding. Yeah, but like I feel like Funk like. He bled a little more, and I was like, oh, like, he just dug in a little harder. But, I mean, I don't know. I've never cut myself, let alone uh, in front of a bunch of people. But I was like, damn. Like, this was, a, this was like a dusty Abdullah job where Flair is, like, kind of dried up. And, like, it, it, it didn't turn into, like, a Steve Austin, like, Bret Hart deal. I mean, Flair's hair is covered. His face is covered. It is. But, like... I feel like it kind of cleared up a little bit. I, I mean, it was early in the match. I mean, yeah, not yeah. Conti- no one continues to bleed. People do continue to bleed if they fuck it up. But well, he doesn't fuck it up because he he's doesn't because he's Rick Flair. Yeah, he's Rick Flair. He's not. We get mounted punches by Nature Boy. Starts working on the cut of Funk. Flair with a running knee to the corner, but Terry moves, so Rick hits knee first into the turnbuckle. Funk goes for a spinning toehold, but Rick trips him and goes for a figure four. But Terry grabs him into the small package for the pin, and Flair reverses it into an inside cradle for the win. Were you ready for it? I was not ready for <laughs> Wait, it. Yeah. I was totally expecting it to go much longer. Yeah, but the thing is, but it was still enough. Oh, it was totally enough. It was so good. Yeah, like, it's really, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll hold off. We'll finish the show. There's more to talk about. So post-match, Nature Boy nails Gary Hart, and all of a sudden, Muda is there, misting Flair with the green mist. Fuck yes. Funk and Muda start attacking Rick. Muda with the falling title belt to the face. Cherry brings a chair in and sets up for a pile driver on it. 
Doug Dillinger, the head of WCW security, runs in to prevent it, but gets judo chopped and a spinning heel kick. From and he's Muda. just a guy in a suit. He does not. He's not like right. He's the head of security. He's but he doesn't look like the head of security. But he is. He is. Yeah. Like I get it. But it's, it's Doug like, Dillinger. But he looks like a guy in a suit. But I was like, oh, okay. All of a sudden, Sting runs in, Woo! brawling with both men, flares up, everybody's brawling, Funk and Muda are tossed from the ring, Flair and Sting high-five in the ring, but yeah, Muda rolls pop. back in, but Hart gets him out of the Dude, ring. Dude, Muda, Muda's work for this brawl, he just keeps everybody going. Yeah? It's amazing. This is like the one of the best like post-match brawls I think I've ever seen. It was really good. And we're not done. No, of course we're not. I'm just saying. Funk tosses the chair back in the ring and everyone starts brawling down the entryway. JR is telling us that the World Television Championship has been held up due to the controversy and start talking about it. Do we about even care it. about this? And everyone just starts brawling right in front of Bob and JR. Yeah. Sting hits Muda with the chair. Funk with the branding iron on Flair. Oh, man. Rick with the branding iron on Muda and Terry. Sting starts choking Muda with a guard rope yes. on the entryway. And there's like a point where like he's like where I think JR is like, uh, are we done now? <laughs> like he says something along those lines. It's like, are we finished yet? And they're like, I guess not. And they're obviously like kind of annoyed. But like, it's amazing. This brawl goes on for like the rest of the show. Seven or eight minutes. Yeah. It's, they won't let it stop. They're just like w- like wearing out the clock and they're trying to talk. Like they think they even try to like do some interview stuff. And it gets in. Well, they finally finally kind of clears up, and Flair's starting to walk past Jr. and Bob, yeah. and so Jr. grabs him, like, "Hey, let me talk to you for." And Flair goes, "I've never said thank you in ten years, but thank you, pal." To and he says that to Sting. Yeah. And he goes, Terry Funk, we've just yeah. started. And the thank you to like Sting is fucking somehow like good. It's like it's like oh, when Ric Flair says, "I've never said thank you." In like ten years, but thank you, Sting. You're like, mm, that's good. That's good. It felt it felt right. Mega powers. Yeah, it's mega powers for sure. But like, how much do you want to see? Like, when this show ends, how hard do you want to see Sting and Ric Flair versus Muda, Terry Funk? So bad. So like, if I told you that a week, like a month ago, and I was like, yo, there's this match, like, and supposedly it's pretty good. You want to watch it? You would be like, yeah. That sounds cool, but after this show, I want to watch it. Like I, after I finish it, I was like, "Fuck, does this exist?" I wanted to look it up, but I was like, "No, I just have to wait it and find out." Exist. Fuck me. I hope it's well, as good as it. I want it to be. It won't be as good as I want it to be, but it'll be good. We will cover it in exactly three weeks. Oh my god, I'm so excited! I haven't been this pumped for a, a tag match in a long time. And, and I Sol- like tag matches. Soli has a great line as the, the fight's kind of ending. If that's the beginning, I can't wait to see the end. Yes. And it's like, oh, who wrote that for you? You genius little boy. That's exactly. perfect. JR and Bob recap the evening, say their goodbyes, and we get credits roll as the brawl from the main event is shown again. So, Michael Temple. Yes. Your overall thoughts of Great American Bash 89. It's an amazing show, and you should watch it. Everyone should watch it. Like, I... We shit our pants over these technical long flare matches. But, like, 
this is just as good or better. I completely agree. <laughs> and it's like, it is not the same thing. It's the same thing because it's Ric Flair, but it is it's not a different kind, kind of, of match. match. And it's like, and like me and you are not like, oh, I just want to see hardcore matches. I just want big spots. I only want blood. We pre- I want everything. We, we prefer like psychology and we prefer things to be done at like appropriate times. We just, as long as it feels good, like I'm in, man. Yeah. And like, this feels real good. So, I don't even know. I think I have found my new favorite show that we have. This is it? This is it. I can't, I can't really argue it. I mean, tell me, what, what was the worst match on the show? I don't have a, I don't have a, a short A 10-minute battle royal? Was, uh, that, was that the worst match? And the thing is, to be honest, I love battle royals. To be honest, you're, I like the battle royal maybe more than the War Games match. I mean, if... Because it's quicker and, like, just only because of speed and it's, like, a little bit more interesting where War Games takes too much time. the thing is, this War Game match, it's my favorite War Games match that we've ever seen because it actually makes sense. Yeah, it was was good. This show is very good, and I'm so excited, and I'm, like, this is one of those things where I'm, like, man, like, what if the NWA just, like, like, got... Because we've been waiting for them to get better. Because we know that there's, like, great shit, and there has been good older shit, but it's kind of confusing, and it's getting less and less confusing, but we're getting, like, fucking wrestling matches, and it's awesome. Like, Steamboat Luger? Steamboat Luger's so good. It's great. Every match on this uh, card is so good. It's very, very, it's, yeah, it's like, mm, it's, it's fucking good. Like, the two shows before this are good, but this is basically, like, the WrestleMania of those shows. I mean, it's like, oh, I, we I got it said, all. I just said my favorite show that we've covered. We, is we are, your favorite? We were at thirty-one. Is your favorite? And this is number one for me. Man, it's it's not the most fun show because there's some stuff where it's like oh, fun I don't and no, dude, I don't everything know. It's is, hard. Everything is fun. It is good. You you would think looking back, mm-hmm. Cornette and Dangerously would be probably the worst. No way in hell. Cornette and Dangerously, so good. It's amazing. A 10-minute battle royal shouldn't be good. It's great. It's good. It's very good. Dude, Skyscrapers but, versus the Dynamic Dudes. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. But you know what You know what I really love? Flying Brian. Flying Brian. I love Flying Brian match. You I loved it. You can't, be, you can't go wrong with the Flying Brian match. But, yeah. This is a top-tier show. And it's weird because we've had, like, some super technical flair matches. Not the most technical flare match, maybe the best flare match. In I mean, a weird I, would, I would still take one of the steamboat matches as a better match. Yeah, but I'm this just talking just about a different, this is a different style. Yeah, of a match, well, that's not. I don't. But it's still really, really. But good. you know what I mean when I say that? It's like I don't mean it that it's better technically. I'm just like whenever your like heart and body and soul is invested in what you're watching. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best physical match, but it's one where you're like on your feet and you're like, oh shit, like what's up? Like that happens sometimes where people are like, oh, it wasn't the best physical match. It wasn't the best whatever. But it's like if you legitimately care about what's happening and like the people in the ring and the feud, then like small things work in a different way. I'll say this. If I were to have a non-wrestling friend Uh and I was like, 
I'm going to show you some Ric Flair matches. This would be one of them. I would probably show them this match over over any of the Steamboat matches. Totally. I would build up to the Steamboat match. Yeah, it's like you don't. You know, nobody wants to watch a one-hour Steamboat match when they don't know what the fuck they're looking at. Exactly. But two guys fucking fighting and then both bleeding and then both brawling afterwards. Nobody can be like, yo, that sucked. That's entertaining. Yeah, that's super entertaining. Yeah. Exactly. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So what's some of your best moments of this show? Man. Can we just go through and like say this match, this match, this match, this match. Oh, yeah, this match as well. Like, like this show is full of great moments. I would like, okay, best match, best best thing in the first match uh, is the whole Teddy Long joke was fun. Teddy yes. Long comes out, he's like, we're splitting the shit. But there were some good spots in there. Irwin and Flying Brian, Flying Brian. Pillman going from one ring to the okay. other. Amazing, amazing. Also, I want to, I want to marry the corpse of uh, Flying Brian because what a sad. handsome, handsome dude. Sid that, Vicious pops. Sid Vicious pops. Great dynamic dudes. Uh, lifting the fat kid was pretty great, but like you know, that was fun. <laughs> but like, it's not the best part of the match. But both both promos from Cornette and Dangerously are great. Yeah, the finish from that and the from, finish of that match is good. Well, the, well, the the finish of the Polly thing, but like the finish from the Dynamic Dudes match was good. Yeah, the finish of Varsity Club versus the Steiners. I mean, it's our first Steiner brothers match. Yeah, that's true. And like I mean, it's and everyone's there for Rick and not for Scott. Which exactly, is kind of which is kind of crazy when you think about it nowadays. Yeah. What was the finish for that one? It was. Uh, Oh, the crossbody and both of them land on top of Sullivan yes, for the pin. Yes, very good. I agree completely. Because, like, yeah, it wasn't the grim one with the shoulder deal. I mean, literally the only complaint I probably have about this entire show... Is Muda took a loss. Is the, <laughs> is the Muda Sting finish. Because they said one thing happened when it's obvious that something else happened. And, there's, yeah. and you can poke holes in the logic. Well, one thing is, like, you know that those guys were trying to attempt that finish. And they... Fucked it up because they're in front of a bunch of people, and you know, you give me one snapmare, I won't be able to tell you my fucking name. So it's hard for me to judge, especially like two guys that are as completely legendary as like Muda and Sting. So yeah, they flubbed it, but the rest of the match was great. And Steamboat Luger is fucking second best match on the ship. My favorite Luger match. Oh, really? So yeah, far? I like it better life? even than the Luger Flair match. Yeah, I can I can see that. I really like the Luger. I like the the Sting Flair matches. We've been getting nothing but good. But Flair I mean, matches. just Luger matches in particular. Yeah, this this would be my favorite Luger match now. Yeah, no, that's totally totally understandable. Flair like is eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety like the Flair like Trinity of like this is what wrestling can be. Eighty nine is the year of Flair. Is it? Fuck. We're so we're so lucky to uh I feel so lucky to be watching this and being able to talk to somebody with it. So to somebody about it. Like all you fine folks out yeah, there. Yeah, all you fine folks, but no, like even if me and you just watched this shit without microphones, I would be very excited to have somebody to talk to this about with because wrestling is fun, but it's more fun with people. Exactly. It's less fun with less people. It's just the way it is. It's not like reading a book. It's not like watching a movie. It's more fun when you can talk about it with people. I mean, did you find anything disappointing about this show? 
No. Honestly, the last couple shows had like great, great, like top of the card matches. Yeah. Great. Amazing. About as good as they could possibly be in any era, honestly. Like, this is fucking wrestling. But the undercard was all pretty, like, fine to whatever. But this is. Top to bottom. Pretty solid. This pretty card fucking is solid. so good. Like, those other shows were shorter. This show ma- this show moves faster. Moves quicker. Was there anything surprising on this show? I, think I, was, su- su- I was surprised that I thought that Bivey was uh, a very tall, chubby Steve Austin for about a minute and a half. I was surprised to see uh, Ron Simmons. Damn! Yep. Uh, I was surprised to see Flying Brian. Surprised to see that Flying Brian is so goddamn good looking. And just so good. Oh, well, yeah, I knew he was good. But I was like, fuck. Like, I'd seen him, like, the first, like, him and Liger at, like, the first, first episode Nitro. of Nitro. And I'm like, yeah. But, like, here, it's like, this guy is about as fit as he possibly could be. It's pretty insane. It's like, oh, this is a, as good as your body can be on this planet. Yeah. It's pretty insane. I mean, the most surprising thing for me is that Flair had a completely different style of match than we've seen yeah. at all. But I in, feel like in, it fits more to like what Flair could be better at. I mean, it played to the strengths of Funk. Oh, because yeah. Because Funk's not a technical wrestler. But I don't He's think more that, a brawler. I don't think that Flair's the kind of technical wrestler that like Steamboat is. I mean, Steamboat can fly around a little bit more, but... Flair is still a good technical Te- wrestler. Yeah, yeah, but Flair, Flair can sell the brawl better than Steamboat could ever sell a brawl. I don't know. I think Steamboat could do it. He's not. He doesn't got the grit, man. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure we'll see some more Luger Steamboat matches at some yeah, point. But I don't Luger know. Luger will tear him up a few times. But yeah, this Funk Flair match. I'm like shit. I can just see me like putting this on. I in like too. in like six months, just like put it on, and I'm like fucking, fucking sweeping the floor, vacuuming, and just like fucking looking over at the TV behind my back, and be like, God damn, this is good shit. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The dusty finish. Luthez had held the title for over six years until a fateful night in Toronto, on March fifteenth, nineteen fifty six. Whipper Billy Watson would defeat Thez in front of 15,000 fans. God, that's so many people. At the Maple Leaf Gardens. Billy Watson, born in 1915, grew up in Ontario, making his professional debut in 1940, and was a rising star in the Toronto scene. He would cement his status as a main eventer when he won the British Empire title in 1942. Billy Watson would be inducted by the Professional Wrestling and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames, for his accomplishments, which also include training such wrestlers as Rocky Johnson. Whipper would travel North America defending the title while Thez would take several months off to recuperate from an ankle injury. But Lou Thez would soon get his rematch. Next week. What's next week? Saturday night main event number 22. So if we're doing a Saturday night main event 22, something big happens here. Something kind of big happens. Okay. Or maybe I just wanted to... Throw in a wild card? Throw in a wild card. I think card I have an idea one. what it might be. You think so? I have an idea, but I'm not sure. I guess you'll find it. we'll find out next week. Does it involve Debo? I think...
think Devo does. <laughs> okay. You can cut that. I was just guessing, but damn. So the music from this week's show is the theme song from the from Great American Bash 89. And we get, we get to go back to the classic Spotch Zarathustra by Strauss. What do you think Spotch Zarathustra means? I don't know. I have no clue. It means like cleaning lady? Probably. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> I mean, it definitely doesn't mean that. I mean, I mean, who knows, but... To me, it's the 2001 song. It'll always be that. It'll always be the 2001 song. To me, it's like, yeah, it's the Ric Flair song, but it's also the 2001 song. It's the Ric song. Flair song for me. Yeah. It's not the Charlotte Flair song? I hate the Charlotte Flair remix. Oh, you don't like it? I'm fine with it. How do you feel about the the figure eight? I think it's dumb. Ah, it's fine. It's so dumb. Don't be old. It's fun. How's it eight? Yeah, because she because she does the thing. She, does she the goes bridge. up on her two... two Arms. She does the the feet. That's six. She does the feet. It's fine. It's not eight. Whatever, old man. I mean, I'm not a... Get off my lawn! I'm not, yeah. I'm not a lover, but I'm not a hater. If you like any of those takes on Charlotte Flair, you can also rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. You can email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter wrestling histo x that's wrestling h-i-s-t-o-x we'll talk to you next week